you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. As we get started this morning, and, and this question is really, I think, a life-changing question. And we've been in this series called Asking for a Friend, dealing with kind of difficult questions of the faith. And I've saved this one to the end because it's really the most important question that we can ask that you need to answer. Uh, And it's this, can you trust the Bible? Can you trust the Bible? Because, see, if if this morning you say, look, I, I can't trust the Bible then you're really saying, I've got no hope in this life, and I've got no hope for when I die. But if you say, I can trust the Bible, then you're saying, well, yeah, I've got hope right now, and I've got hope after I die. And so what we're going to do is unpack the answer to that question, can you trust the Bible? Now, now in order to do that, I've kind of got to ask two other questions to help us answer the big question. So the first question, the kind of subset question we're going to answer is, is the Bible accurate? Is the Bible accurate? Is it reliable? And is it accurate? So if you've got a Bible, uh, let's go to second Peter, whether you've got a Bible in your hand, you can open or, or one you can turn on. Let's go to second Peter chapter one. And, And when you think of the accuracy of the Bible, Because when we come and we say, yeah, we can trust the Bible, or maybe you're talking to somebody and saying, you know, the Bible's reliable, or or the Bible's saying this, you know, people are going to push back on that. And they say, well, wait, hang on. Are you sure that it's accurate? Are you sure that it's right? Because if you stop and think about it, I'm going to meet you in 2 Peter chapter 1 here in a second. But if you think about the Bible, the Bible makes some pretty wild claims when you stop and think about it. I mean, think about this. We believe in a God who created everything out of nothing. I mean, there was nothing and he created everything. We believe that he didn't need anything to create stuff from. He just spoke and it happened. We, we believe that there was a lady by the name of Sarah who at the age of 90, you know, had a child. We believe the Bible says that there's There was one time a a flood that covered the whole earth. And then you jump in the New Testament and right away you're met with a claim that there was a 14-year-old or teenager, you know, girl by the name of Mary who was a virgin, who was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And oh yeah, by the way, this little teenage girl from this little hick town that nobody had ever heard of, she's bearing the Messiah. She's going to have the Savior. And then this guy's going to grow up by the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's going to start healing people, helping blind people see, raising dead people back to life. And then they're going to kill him. And then three days later, he's going to come back. And he's going to come back to life to ascend to heaven, uh, never to die again. I mean, do you realize that's all the, a lot of the claims that are here in this Bible? Now, for some of you, you've grown up hearing that and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I've heard that a dozen times. But think about that for a minute. That can sound pretty wild to a lot of people, can it? I mean, that sounds like a lot of science fiction stuff you may see on TV, but it, but it's all right here. So, so is this true? Is the Bible accurate? 
That's the first question we've got to answer. And see, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, really is going to address that. And let's pick up in verse 16. Because he says, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him uh, by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 18. We ourselves, we heard this, this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to lamps shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now notice verse 20 and 21 because these are really key right here. Knowing this first all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter right there, verse 16 says this. He says, we don't follow cleverly devised myths. Or if you've got an NIV, it says, we don't follow cleverly invented stories. And so Peter's saying, listen, everything I've seen, everything I'm writing to you is accurate. He said, I've seen a lot of it myself. And then in verses 17 through 18, he takes you to the Mount of Transfiguration where there is a period of time where Jesus said, hey, come here, Peter. Come here, James. Come here, John. I got to go talk to you guys. And so they're off alone by themselves. And Jesus shows them his glory. He gives them a peak of his glory. Moses is there. Elijah's there. And Peter goes, whoa, whoa, hang on. Should we build three tabernacles right now? I mean, one for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and, and one for Elijah. I mean, just blows them away. And then God's voice comes ringing down. And he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, I love the way God said it in Mark chapter 8. Listen to him. Listen to him. This is my son. And so Peter's saying, listen, I've seen all these things with my eyes. I've seen them all happen. But do you notice what he says in verse 21? Because this is key. He says, for no prophecy, no, nothing we've written was ever produced by the will of man. But men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying essentially this, we didn't make it up. We didn't write it this way. This is God's word that he gave to us that we wrote down. And and so what Peter's doing in verse 21 is he's driving you to the divine authority of God's word. He's driving you to the origin of God's word, that God's word came from God, not out of Pete's mind. Not out of Peter saying, hey, guys, let's get together and write all these stories. But the divine origin is from God, and then it's written by man. And the Holy Spirit carried that along, helped that go. Now, now Paul says a lot of pretty much the same thing. And let's turn over to 2 Timothy real quick. And in 2 Timothy, you're going to see Paul uh, pretty much saying uh, about the same thing. And um, not next week, but the week after, I'm going to start 2 Timothy. And we're going to go verse by verse through this in a couple of weeks. And I, I love this letter. And I'm going to entitle it Grit. 
is you got to have grit, right? And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy in life. You got to have grit. And I thought if there's anything that 2020 has taught us is we've got to have grit in life. Amen. <laughs> right. I mean, you think of that John Wayne grit, we've got to have it. But in second Timothy chapter three in verse 16, Paul says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, now when Paul right there, similar to Peter is saying scripture is breathed out by God. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. You got to ask yourself in verse 16, does all mean all? Because you, you don't have all the new Testament yet. So when Paul says all in this letter, he does mean all of the old Testament. Now we can see, and I believe we can apply rightly, though, the New Testament in this and say, well, yeah, I would say now all means all. But when Paul's writing it in that context, all is going to mean all of the Old Testament. But we can lump the New Testament in now because the New Testament stood the test of time and it's shown its reliability. But notice what Paul says. He says all scripture is breathed out by God or your translation may say God breathed or it's inspired. Now, when you talk about the inspiration of scripture, it's not that man wrote it and then God inspired it. It's not that. Paul wrote it down and then God breathed on it. Or, you know, it's this, that God breathed it out. Remember, this is a God that speaks and creation happens. This is a God that speaks and the dead are raised. This is a God that speaks and people are healed. So, so you worship a speaking God. He's not a silent God all through Scripture. And so the divine origin of Scripture is so key to understand Because it's not that they wrote it and God inspired it, but God gave them the words to write. So I like to think of it this way, just to kind of make it easy. It's not the men who wrote it who were inspired. It's what they wrote that were inspired. They were not inspired. It's what they wrote that were inspired. And now now one of the most arguments you're going to run into, though, when when you talk about the reliability of Scripture and the accuracy of Scripture and and you really get down to the fundamental question, can I trust the Bible? As people are going to push back and they're going, whoa, hang on, wait one second. This is a really old book. I mean, this was written thousands of years ago. How in the world do we know what we have now is right There's been so many different translations. How how in the world can we know what's right? Well, let me give you a couple of historical examples of of books that really people don't argue about. And these books, people are, you know, universally say, yeah, that person wrote it and what they wrote it was true. And listen to the span. I'm going to give you a lot of dates, so hang with me. But listen to when they wrote it and the earliest copy we have of it. Homer, uh, who wrote the Iliad. He wrote it around 800 B.C. The earliest copy we have of that is from 400 B.C. So from the time he wrote it to the earliest copy, about 400 years span. Plato, who wrote The Republic, he wrote it around 400 B.C. Earliest copy we have from the 9th century A.D. So you have a span of about 1,300 years right there from when he wrote it to the earliest copy that we have. Julius Caesar, who wrote the Gallic Wars in in 100 B.C., 
earliest copy from the ninth century A.D., so a span of about a thousand years. Okay, so so those three historical books, historians, pretty much cultures say, yeah, they wrote it. Yes, that's true. But you notice all that span? 400 years from when they wrote it to the earliest copy we've got. 1,300 years from when they wrote it to the earliest copy. 1,000 years. Now, let's just do the New Testament for time's sake, okay? I mean, the Old Testament, you can get into this also. But just New Testament. Hang with me. New Testament's written between 50 A.D. and 100 A.D. And now, remember, Jesus dies about 33 A.D. So from 33 A.D. to 100 A.D., you've got the New Testament written. Completed by 100 A.D. You know the earliest copy we have of the New Testament? 125 A.D. Just 25 years after it's completed is when we have the earliest copy. You know, some of those books I wrote, you know, said some of them only have eight copies remaining, 100 copies, 50 copies. You know, there's 24,000 copies of the New Testament dating back to that time period we have right now. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all written 40 to 60 years after the death of Jesus. Paul wrote all his letters 15 to 25 years after the death of Jesus. Now, now stay with me on this. Because you might even still be thinking, well, wait a minute, hang on. After the death of Jesus, still 15, 25 years later, they're writing stuff down or, or 40 years later or 20 years later. Well, well, that's still a long period of time. But think about what's going on. You'd still have a lot of eyewitnesses walking around when they're writing these letters. You'd still have a lot of people going, oh, yeah, that's right. What he wrote that Jesus said and did, yeah, that's right. I was there on that mountain when he took those two sardines and those five crackers and he multiplied it out. Guess what? I had that lunch and man, Denny's doesn't stack up to that, right? You think Whataburger's good? Man, you needed to be on that mountain with me that day, right? You'd have people go, yeah, I was standing there when he was crucified. I was the one who yelled out crucify him. I was there on, on that mountain when he appeared for 500 people and preached before he went to heaven. I saw it. I heard it. So when the biblical New Testament authors are writing the New Testament, you got people walking around who'd go, yep, or nope. Right? You've got eyewitnesses still alive verifying this. But think about it this way. All your New Testament authors... When they wrote the New Testament, did they get rich from doing it? Well, I mean, did they get rich? No. Did they become popular? Nope. What happened to the people who followed Jesus very early on? What happens to your Peters? What happens to your Pauls when they're writing this down and they're circulating it around? You know what happens? They don't get put in political power. They don't get rich. They don't, you know, appear on the Jerusalem Times bestseller list. You know what happens to them? They get beat up. They get run out of towns. They probably had family disown them. They got thrown into prison. They got killed for writing this down. So why in the world would they invent a story such like this with nothing to gain? See, is it accurate? Is it true? 
You know, and when you think about the Bible, I, I love when you just, uh, just close your Bible real quick. We're going to open it again, but just close it and, and look at it with me. Because when you look at the whole Bible, okay, that's 66 books that make up your Bible. It's written by 40 different authors. It's written in three different languages. You've got Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It's written over a thousand years of span of time. It's written from different continents. It's written from different uh, situations in life. You've got kings who wrote part of this, prophets, preachers, fishermen, tax collectors, a doctor who wrote some of this. And you stop and think about that Bible you're holding, about that Bible that you're looking at. And here's what's amazing. This Bible has one message to it. It's one theme that runs all the way from cover to cover. It's this. God made us. We sinned against him. God made a way for us to be forgiven and come back to him. And this whole Bible is about that. And that person that does that is Jesus Christ. And isn't that an incredible book? Amen. And you stop and think. All of that is right here in this. And it never strays away from that story. That's what makes the Bible incredible. And I believe with my whole heart, it's accurate. And you've got to answer that question in yours. If you believe the Bible's accurate, then you can start trusting the Bible. Now, again, you might say, well, look, it's written a long time ago. And it is. It was written a long time ago. There's no way it's still relevant to me in 2020. Because 2020, yeah, that, that's been a year I've needed some hope. No way this Bible can still be relevant, right? Great question. Glad you asked it. Let's go right back in it. This time, let's go to the Old Testament. And we're going to go to Psalm 19. So I'm going to take you to an old, old, old hymn. In Psalm 19, let me show you the relevancy of the Bible. Because the Bible still is relevant and the Bible still speaks. And in Psalm 19, uh, you got the psalmist who's writing about the scripture. And this is a psalm of David. And he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Pick up in verse 7 with me. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You know what he's talking about when he says the law? The first five books of the Bible. That's the law. How, how many times have we snuggled up to Leviticus? Said, oh, oh, Leviticus, you revive the soul, right? Bring me more of numbers. That's my favorite book. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Look in verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. I love verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. David is writing on the relevancy of the Bible. And so let's go back up to verse 7 and let's do this quickly. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Notice what happens when we put the word of God in our lives. It revives the soul. It brings us encouragement. It restores us. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. It rejoices the heart. You lack joy? Get in the word of God. It brings us joy. 
Drop down to verse 10. More desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, drippings of the honeycombs. It's the word of God that brings satisfaction in our lives. It's, it's the best thing that you can invest your time in. And he says in verse 11, there is great reward when we keep the word of God. I love the way Charles Spurgeon says this about the Bible. He says, the Bible has wrestled me. It has smitten me. It has comforted me. It has smiled on me. It has frowned on me. It has clasped my hands. It has warmed my heart. The Bible, it weeps with me. It sings with me. It whispers to me. It preaches to me. It maps my way and it guides my goings all within the word of God. Is it relevant? I'd say it's relevant. I mean, it's helped me through hard times. Times I've lacked joy, it's brought joy. Times I've needed direction, it's brought direction. Times where I've said, God, I feel all alone, it's reminded me you're not alone. See, when, when you invest your time in the Word of God, the Word of God's going to show you, as Hebrews chapter 4 says, that it's living and that it's active and that it's still relevant in our lives. Can you trust the Bible? Can you trust the Bible? You know, this week on Facebook, I, I asked this question and it was, it was really interesting to see a lot of your responses. I got almost close to 50 responses to this. And I asked this question, if Jesus were standing in front of you, what question would you ask him? And maybe you think about that right now. If Jesus was right here, standing right in front of you, and he says, hey, what do you want to know? What question would you ask Jesus today? Here are just some of the ones I, I got and I want to share with you. can't read them all, but I'll read a few. Somebody wrote, I, I'd ask him, am I really forgiven? Am I doing what you want me to do? How much longer are we going to be here on earth? What's up with 2020? <laughs> like, oh, that was a fantastic question. This was also a really a favorite one of mine. This is from my friend, Carrie. What other baseball teams were stealing signs in the 2017 and 2018 season, right? Perfect question if Jesus was right there in front of you. But, you know, Jesus would ask you a question in return. And it's a question he asked the disciples in the Bible. And in Mark chapter 8, he looked at them one day and he says, who do people say that I am? Who, who do you say Jesus is? So you, you can ask him all the questions you want. But he's going to turn around and ask you that question. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, okay, Peter, if you want to follow me, and if anybody wants to follow me, he kind of looked out of the crowd and said, listen, you want to follow me, then you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross, and you've got to follow me. For whoever desires to lose his own life, will, or excuse me, whoever desires to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his own life for my name's sake will find it. And then he asked another question. He said, what's good is it if a man gains the whole world, yet he forfeits his own soul? What good is it if, if you gain the whole world, yet you give up your whole soul in that process? Because that soul's eternal. That, that soul's either going to be in heaven or it's going to be in hell for all of eternity. And, and this Bible that you can trust this Bible that you can say is accurate today and relevant answers that question right there. Who's Jesus and where's your soul going to be? 
And see, the Bible calls us to make decisions. It calls you to be saved. The Bible says, listen, you need to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And then once you've done that, you need to be baptized as a believer. Go public with that faith. Baptism, it doesn't save you. Just like a wedding ring doesn't make you married, the wedding ring shows you're married. Baptism as a believer says, listen, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and it tells us to be baptized. It calls us to be generous people, to be giving people, to be serving people. can you trust that? Can you trust the scriptures? And so today I'm going to call you to make some decisions. And maybe today it's just that to say. For my life, I'm ready today to place my faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you need to do that or you have done that, but you've not been baptized as a believer in Christ. And maybe today it's to say, I need to be baptized as a believer in Jesus or to say, look, I need to practice generosity in my life or, or find a place to serve somebody, encourage others, or to come and say, look, I, I want to join this church because as a church, we want to partner together to make more disciples and to get this good news of Jesus Christ out to more and more people. So I'm going to invite you to pray. I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. And I'm going to invite you to start making that decision today. Our worship team is is coming back and we're going to stand and and sing here in a moment. And when we stand and we sing and you start hearing their voice singing, I want to invite you to come. And right when that song starts, you can come. There'll be somebody down front here to pray with you, to help you make any of those decisions God's put on your heart or your mind today. You can make those decisions right where you are if you're not comfortable coming. But what is it that that God's calling you to do right now? Maybe right now it is to trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And you need to just say, Jesus, today I'm ready to follow you. And I want to give you my life and ask you to forgive me of my sin. The Bible says all you need to do is call out to him in prayer. Let them know what's on that heart. Maybe today it's to say I need to be baptized as a believer in Jesus. I need to practice generosity or find a place to serve someone else besides just serving me. Or maybe, look, I'm ready to start the process of becoming a a partner member of this church, partnering together to reach more people for Christ. Lord, I pray today that whatever you've laid on our hearts and our minds, that that we trust that that is from you and we take that next step of obedience and faith. Lord, and I just thank you today for your word. And we ask that your word, as we sang earlier, will continue to speak in our lives because help us to remember it's your word. And so, Lord, I, I pray that today we will bow the authority of our lives to your word and to you. And that, Lord, we may continue to follow you and love you in all these ways and all these things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.